Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. Probably the biggest uh, revenue day of the year for a retail bakery is Saturday. And we're, we're committed to being closed on every Saturday and also closed on all the holidays, even the obscure ones that you've never heard of, um, which adds up. I'm Delia Colon, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. Today, we're keeping it kosher in a conversation with Miami's Zach the Baker. In Miami's artsy Wynwood neighborhood, there's a colorfully painted building that has people lining up around the block. Customers wait patiently for bagels, guava cheese pastries, and other treats, but not on Saturdays. The bake shop known as Zach the Baker is a kosher bakery that closes every week for the Jewish Sabbath. But the owner, 36-year-old Zach Stern, is not as religious as you might think. So why would a self-described, quote, non-religious Jew open a kosher bakery in the first place? Zach explained during our recent conversation. He also shared why he trimmed his trademark beard and why he has no plans to expand Zach the Baker to other cities. You've got kids too. Let's jump in. Tell me about your kids because I need advice for um, baking with my kids and keeping them occupied. Baking with my kids. Uh, do I have advice? Yeah, just throw them in. They like to do everything. They get they get uh, down and dirty. Yeah. Um, for, for me, there's nothing that's off limits. They, they just like to be involved. There's nothing that's off limits. Okay, so what's something your kids have made or or participated in that would probably freak us out if we're kind of type A? <laughs> Yeah, so they cut, they mix, they cook. As long as I'm there and I'm and I'm with them, I'm comfortable with them kind of doing everything. If it's dangerous, I want them to see the danger. I don't want to hide them from the danger. It's kind of like that idea when you see a snake, you know, I don't want to get rid of it. I want to make sure I can see it. I want to see the danger. I don't want to I don't want to hide it. That's really profound. I'm going to be Is that profound? <laughs> I think so. I'm going to be chewing on that for a while. How old are your kids? My kids are uh, four and a half and six. Okay. And two girls, right? Two little girls, two little princesses. How cute. Okay. Let's back up to when you were a little prince. Tell me where you grew up and how did you get into baking? I grew up in South Florida in the suburbs down in Miami. And uh, I didn't get into baking in the suburbs in Miami. I don't think anyone gets into baking in the suburbs in Miami. I got into baking later in life when I was uh, in my early 20s. I went through kind of the whole the script of being a uh, privileged suburban boy in, in Miami. And I followed that all the way through to, to grad school. And then I realized that it wasn't for me. And so I, I withdrew from, from pharmacy school. And I started to work on farms to kind of learn the things that I wasn't able to learn in traditional academia. Things like agriculture, things like craftsmanship things like uh, working with my hands instead of just my mind, uh, then that's what got me into baking. Wow, that's really interesting. So that is kind of later in life. 
So you would have been a pharmacist then? I would have been a pharmacist. Yeah, I, I did pre-med in, in undergrad, and then I went into pharmacy school right after. I was 22. I was pretty young. What did your family think when you switched gears? Well, so this is part of the thing where I, where I say that I'm, I'm privileged is, is because when I told my parents that I'm, I'm not satisfied and I'm, I'm quite depressed, they supported me and trusted me that I'll figure it out. Um, and I'm, I don't mean financially supported me. I just mean they supported me emotionally. And, and uh, I think that's the, the, the greatest privilege you can have is that support. Wow. So what was the kosher food scene like when you were growing up in Miami? I have no idea. I, I, never, I never went to a kosher restaurant in my life growing up. Yeah, I, I wasn't raised religious. I was raised uh, secular uh, in Miami, which means I went to shul, the temple, synagogue, whatever you call it, three times a year. And uh, my relationship with Judaism was really just the food and the friends. But I mean, I was a very typical non-religious Jew in Miami. There was a big tribe of us. And uh, we knew we were Jewish, but we didn't practice really anything. We just, it was more of a cultural um, association. So kosher and religious uh, world in Miami, I, had, I, had, I didn't even know they existed. I couldn't, I couldn't really tell you what it was like growing up. <laughs> that's so funny because I'm from a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, that's kind of a Jewish enclave. Mm -hmm. And I probably went yeah. to more seders and, and bar mitzvahs maybe than you, <laughs> which is wild. Oh, bar mitzvahs. I've got you beat on bar mitzvahs. That's one thing non-religious Jews did very well. We did bar mitzvahs. We took those so seriously. We had themes. We had DJs. Uh, we had so much stuff. Yeah. Non-religious Jews take bar mitzvahs very seriously. That and Hanukkah. Yeah, we, we crush Hanukkah. I would be a great non-religious Jew. What was the theme of your bar mitzvah? <laughs> it was... Oh, it's so embarrassing thinking about the whole thing. It was Comedy Central. I was really into comedy. And so each table was a different uh, comedian. I'm, I'm, I'm like blushing. Thinking <laughs> this back is about. turning into therapy. I think that's cute. That's, that's funny. So then what changed? A lot of people, you know, go to Hebrew school or whatever because they're forced. And then when they're older, they kind of drift away. But you were the opposite. So how did that happen? Yeah, well, I guess I had this story in my mind that I'm a nonconformist. I'm a rebel, right? And so the rebel in me uh, decided to marry a religious girl who is Israeli. And so uh, once I did that, it, it, really, it really flipped the script upside down because suddenly, you know, my house had to become kosher and suddenly Saturdays are Shabbat and suddenly just everything changed. Um, and I don't think I necessarily considered all the implications of marrying a religious girl. Uh, and then soon after that, she said, well, we have to make the bakery kosher because I want to be able to eat in it. And I said, yeah, sure, babe. And I had no idea what that actually meant. Uh, <laughs> it's a big deal. <laughs> what does that um, actually mean? What does that actually mean? Because a lot of us think of kosher as like how the meat is prepared and if it's touching the cheese and things like that. But what does it mean for a bakery to be kosher? So essentially, it means that we're closed on Saturdays, right? So probably the biggest uh, revenue day of the year for a retail bakery is Saturday. And we're, we're committed to being closed on every Saturday and also closed on all the holidays, even the obscure ones that you've never heard of, um, which adds up. 
On top of that, we have a, we have someone called a mishkiach. It's basically like the kosher supervisor who's there every day, and they're there cleaning all of our greens. We, we need to make sure that we have no bugs in our greens, like our, our salad greens or anything that comes from the earth. So he's there with a uh, with a light box and uh, this this washing tool, looking to check make sure there's no bugs in our greens. On top of that, it's really just uh, it's just keeping all the ingredients that we use, making sure that they're certified kosher, making sure that what we say is non-dairy is non-dairy, things like that. Yeah, it's uh, it, but it's a big commitment, and I, I don't think I realized what I was getting into. Um, <laughs> but so now, now I, I mean, I've stumbled into being a kosher bakery, and now it's it's part of the fabric of who we are. You know, I. I'm not kosher myself. I'm not observant myself. I've never been. Um, I don't intend on being it. Who knows what the future is like? Uh, but I stumbled into this, and now this is what's created this this unique story of who we are, right? I'm a I'm an artisan baker that married a religious girl that made it kosher, and voila, <laughs> this is Zach the baker now. I had no idea. Do people know this about you? <laughs> no, I think people assume a lot of things about me. Right. I mean, that's what happens when you when you become in the public. But most people don't know anything really about me. They know stories that they've heard and a lot of it just becomes kind of fun into mythology. But that's the truth. And, you know, as a uh, liberal American kid from the suburbs, I think it's really cool that we've created this unintended consequence of becoming kosher uh, in a non-kosher area is we have this inclusiveness where you have the kosher community kind of leaving their shtetl leaving their neighborhood where all the kosher restaurants are to come eat in our kosher bakery where the rest of Miami also comes. You've got this incredible diversity happening, which is unique. It doesn't happen often. And as a uh, multicultural uh, liberal suburban kid, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's very cool. Why do you think Jewish cookbooks and Israeli cooking and kosher cooking are are kind of having a moment right now. We think about cookbooks like Israeli Soul, Jerusalem, Jewish, the Essential Jewish Cookbook that have all come out in the past couple of years. So what are your thoughts on the popularity of it all right now? Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Because it's also ironic because it, they're also having such a struggle and a lack of popularity on a lot of other fronts of, you know, Israeli and Jewish identity for for, for whatever reasons, but uh, the food element of it has struck such a chord in a American food culture. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> and I don't want to speculate too much on it, but I, but I think it's, uh, I love the food of the Middle East. And, uh, and I think it's interesting that the, uh, the Israeli food is making it popular. But there's also, I mean, there's a lot of other cultures out there too, that are the, the Syrian, the Iraqi, the, the Yemenite food. I mean, all of that is kind of a combination of what we know as Israeli food and Israeli, I guess these Israeli cookbooks are able to package and market it in a way that speaks well to the West. And uh, I, it, they're really succeeding with it. So I, I think a lot of it can be just packaging and uh, speaking a similar language with the West that maybe other Middle Eastern countries uh, don't do as well, let's say. Right, Israel is a pretty Western, Eastern. It's a really unique country that kind of straddles the Middle East and also speaks European language because it has so much European influence, and also Western language because there's so many Americans. 
Okay, let's talk about bread. What are some of the uh, more popular baked items in your bakery and what role does bread play in, in Jewish culture overall? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so we're pretty committed to, to making sourdough bread, which has become really popular during the, the pandemic. Um, we have 350 kilos, I mean, kilograms of sourdough mother every day, right? I mean, just we have buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets of sourdough mother. Um, and for anyone who has made sourdough bread at home, they know it's just an enormous amount. And so all of our bread, all of our hearth sourdough breads are, are risen entirely with sourdough. And I think that's what makes us special is that we're committed to making pure sourdough bread. But uh, otherwise, uh, as far as like uh, kosher baking and traditional Jewish baking is it's the classic challah. You know, every Friday is a holiday um, when uh, the sun comes down and turns into Shabbat. And there is the traditional bread that we make and most uh, kosher bakeries make, if not all. It's called challah, which is a braided egg bread. And it's enriched with egg and something maybe a little sweet. We use honey. And it's very simple, and it's braided uh, either in a four or a six braid or sometimes a three. And uh, it's got a lot of nutrients to help you get through the holiday. So when you're not cooking, you've still got all this protein and this fat inside of it uh, to eat with all of your meals. And they're traditionally, they're made parv, which means non-dairy. That way you're able to eat it at any meal you have during Shabbat, whether it's a dairy meal or whether it's a meat meal, you can eat it either one it's par it's non-dairy and uh that's a big part of of who we are we make that every every friday for the community challah french toast is so good mm, so good makes yeah we do that some, too. yeah it makes me want some right now okay i want to talk mm-hmm. about um miami and mm-hmm. some, you, you talked earlier about how diverse miami is and i saw on instagram first of all let me know when your album is dropping because i saw on instagram that you're getting ready to do something with uh, Nikki Jam, the singer, or maybe you do? Nikki, Nikki, Nikki Jam. <laughs> That's perfect. First of all, when are you guys going to collab on an album? And second of all, tell oh, me I about- I can't wait. I'm just waiting for Nikki Jam and Jay Balvin and Bad Bunny to call me up like, yo, Zach the Baker, we need you, brother. Get up on here. I'll be there in a heartbeat. Because when, so <laughs> when we think Dale, reggaeton, when we think reggaeton, Zach the Baker, that's the first thing that we that we think about. But so you're going to be baking for Nikki Jam's restaurant. What can we expect? And what are how is this something that could only happen in Miami? The kosher bakery baking for the uh, reggaeton star. Yep. <laughs> I love that mashup. I think it's so perfectly Miami. I look. I, I think it's fun. I I love the diversity of Miami, and I think this is what is creating Miami's culture. We've got this kind of like old school uh, Jewish tribe. We've got this new school Venezuelan, Colombian, you know, uh, reggaeton tribe. We've got the Caribbean. We've got there's just so many pieces of Miami culture, and I think it's so important that we embrace this so that we can create our own culture. Instead of just relying on New York City, L.A., Chicago to import their established culture, we've we've got so much richness already here. And I'm all about rolling around all up in that mud of it and just kind of uh, being a part of it. I'm I'm leaning in, as uh, the the youth say. (laughs) The kids in the streets (laughs) say. Okay, so I have to, I'm going to read you something you wrote on Facebook, and I know you know it, but this is for the 
people at home, and it, and it speaks to what you were just saying. You wrote, Miami doesn't have hundreds of years of rich history and culture to guide us as we grow from a small city to a large city to a major city. So the question I'm curious about is, what kind of city do we want to become? A replica of NYC, LA, a place where established restaurants open their second or third location, a place where restaurant groups open, quote, concept after concept. So you talked about rolling around in the mud of, of diversity. What kind of city do you want Miami to become? Because you get to help shape it. Yeah, I want Miami just to become a Miami city, a, a city that sprouts out of our soil. You know, I'm not interested in, in saying what it should or shouldn't be. I just want us to, to nourish the soil here and see what sprouts out of our soil that makes it uniquely Miami. Uh, what I'm kind of cautious of is this uh, overly opportunistic kind of outsider approach where they see, oh, Miami, there's so much opportunity. And they come in and they bring their concepts down to Miami and they kind of take advantage of that opportunity. And then we kind of become a strip mall with TJ Maxx, Ross, Marshalls, and Target. You know, the same things you can find anywhere in the U.S. What is it that you're excited to, to come to Miami to, to see and to do that is uniquely Miami that you can't get in New York? You know, what's like the Joe's Stone Crab, the Versailles? What, what is it that makes Miami, Miami? And uh, I'm all about just nurturing that. I don't know what it is exactly, but nurturing our own soil and see what sprouts out of it and giving it the sunlight and energy it needs to grow and become its own culture. Just like New York had a, had a moment to become their own culture, give us, give us the space for us to breathe and grow too. And at the same time, Lisa on Facebook asks, are you opening any stores in Tampa pretty please? <laughs> No, probably not. And it's not because I don't like Tampa, but who is your baker in Tampa? You know, like, well, I don't need to be coming to Tampa and to bring, you know, my, uh, my empire and my authenticity to Tampa. Who, who's your baker? Like, who, who's you, Tampa's Zach the Baker? Uh, and I think uh, Lisa and me and you should be nourishing that because they're going to be speaking the, the language of your community. I don't know, Tampa. You know, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, you don't want me in Tampa. Well, we do. But. I think we're great. I really do. I think we're great. But I really like having one location and I really like saying independent. It means we can stay laser focused on our mission. It means we don't have to be spending all our energy on growth so we can satisfy our investors or, or our finance partners. Uh, I, I like where we are. I, I want us to get uh, better as opposed to just getting bigger. And I also want a life outside of work. Right, I've got kids. Right, the more we grow, the the less of a good parent I can be, the less of a good friend I can be, the less of a good son. All these things, and and so I'm just not so interested in becoming, I'm not becoming. I've been a maniac. I don't want to be a maniac worker my whole life. I'm looking for balance. Looking for balance. Okay, I told some of my social media buddies that I was going to be speaking to you. And do you know Carlos Frias, the Miami Herald's uh, food editor, James Beard Award winner? Of course, he's a superstar. Well, it takes uh, one birds of a feather flock together because um, <laughs> his question was, ask him about fame. He recently shaved his head and his beard and is trying to separate mm -hmm. Zach the man from Zach the brand. He no longer looks like the logo. It's fascinating. And it's true because mm -hmm. in the logo for Zach the Baker, you've got this long beard. You look like you would fit in maybe in Brooklyn 
almost with mm. like the Hasidic community. But then I'm looking at your more recent stuff, shaved head, cropped beard. What led to mm. that decision? A lot of things, a lot of things. And I, and I would say ultimately personal things, which is why I wanted to create some, some separation between me, Zach, the person that no one in the community really knows because in order to know someone, it takes time, it takes intimacy. And then Zach the baker, the person in the community that a lot of people think they know, a lot of people project their, their expectations, their wishes, their dreams onto this person. So I would rather keep this person fictitious, right? And keep me real and separate the two of them, right? Because their understanding of this person, Zach the baker, is also fictitious. It's a projection. They don't actually know this person. So I don't mind making this person a character, a caricature, which is really what it is, and keeping, kind of protecting me and keeping me a, a flawed, vulnerable person private. Uh, I, I need that privacy. I need that space uh, to be me. That was the whole kind of idea of splitting the two up. The caricature and the real person. People don't know uh, public figures, right? They have some ideas. They read an article here. They have this idea. They saw him say this and that, but they don't actually know, and they don't take the time to get to know them either, but they do very quickly pass judgment on those people, and uh, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that, so I would rather create some distance and keep Zach the Baker a caricature a cartoon, right, who is not actually real. I feel like that's more representative of the reality. You're very wise. I notice you, you talk about that caricature in third person, like, he is not me. No, I'm not Zach the Baker. I'm Zach, I'm Zach the dad, you know, I'm Zach the friend. And my children, my friends, my family, they know me. You know what I mean? They love me. We have intimacy. The community, it's, it's a caricature, and that's okay. Great question, Carlos Frias. <laughs> he was on the podcast a few months ago, so I'm okay. not surprised that you two are friends. You're both looking at me asking sensitive questions, huh? You know, that's why he wins all the fancy awards. Okay, last question. <laughs> Mary wants to know, uh, what time do you get up in the morning as a baker? Uh, it depends. I mean, uh, if I'm in bakery production, it's very early. If I'm not in bakery production... I get up uh, at a reasonable time. I also have kids too, you know, so kids will keep you up early too. I know. Um, I'll tell you when I was, when I was deep in the bakery production, doing the night bake or uh, doing the early morning bakes, it, it was, it used to be 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And then other times it was overnight, you know, I'd start at like 11 o'clock and then I'd keep going all through the night. Thankfully now, as we've gotten bigger and more established, it's not just me killing myself. It's not just me running the production, running the business, uh, while also trying to be uh, a, a father. We've grown out of that kind of really hardcore hustle phase, and we've made it to the next phase of a young business. And I would say we're at the very beginning of creating ourselves an establishment. We have 85 employees, not just me anymore. It's much bigger. And uh, thank God I have incredible support because I know it looks glamorous from the outside when you watch some of those videos or, or photos that I used to put out there, but it was grueling. It was grueling, unsustainable. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very grateful for all the support we have in the, in the bakery. 
Well, Zach the Baker, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Zach Stern of Zach the Baker in Miami. A while back, we interviewed Zach's protege, Jen Smur of Born and Bred Bakehouse in Lakeland. Find the link to that conversation in today's show notes or on our website, thezestpodcast.com. I'm Delia Colon. I produce The Zest with Andrew Lucas. We get help from Chandler Balcom, Mark Hayes, and Blake Bass. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2021. <laughs>